Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is the story of Mace Windu, a revered Jedi Bendu of Apuchi who was related to Usby C.J. Thape, a Padawan learner of the famed Jedi. And those weird words are the honest-to-God original opening to George Lucas's outline for the Star Wars saga. <laughs> what in God's green earth. Anyway, we're here to talk about another beginning for the Star Wars saga, and that's episode one, The Phantom Menace. I'm Matt Gorley. This is I Was There Too, the show where I speak to people that were present in the great scenes of cinema history. I hesitated there just because of today's movie. Maybe it isn't the greatest, but today's guest is as wonderful as this movie isn't. You know what I mean. You know what? I don't want to trash this movie anymore. It's really easy to trash this movie. And besides, I think we do it a little bit in the discussion, so we'll leave it at that. Let's connect last episode's guest to this one. Here we go. I'm not even pre-planning this one. Rico Ross in Aliens, to Sigourney Weaver in Working Girl, to Harrison Ford, holy shit, in uh, uh, Star Wars, to uh, Anthony Daniels in Episode 1, The Phantom Menace, to my guest today, Greg Proops. I didn't even... (sighs) The Force is strong with this one. I love today's guest. He's a wonderful actor, comedian, improviser, and writer, known for The Nightmare Before Christmas, this movie, The Phantom Menace, Super Jaime. His podcasts are absolutely fantastic. He does The Smartest Man in the World and the Greg Proops Film Club podcast. He also, he's, this, we're only three episodes into this, and we've already had two guests that have done the Matt Gorley podcast trifecta, Paul F. Tompkins and Greg Proops, who's also been on uh, Matt Myra's and my James Bonding podcast, as well as Super Ego, which uh, Greg is incredibly funny on. I urge you to check it out. My own podcast aside, I didn't mean to get into plugs of my own stuff this early on. Let's take it back. Nope, there's no way to edit in the digital age. Okay, so I'm talking to Greg today about his role in The Phantom Menace, which is Fode, or depending on some hardliners, Bede. 
What language am I speaking? I don't know. But regardless, he's one of these two characters who makes up the head of the Boonta Eve classic pod race announcer, Fodesenbeed Anadu. So, Fode speaks in English, or accepted galactic proper parlance, and Bede speaks in Huttese, the language of Jabba the Hutt. Welcome to the show. Greg is nothing if not a raconteur, and he takes us on some wonderful tangents and forks in the road, and uh, it only makes getting back to the conversation that much sweeter. I also referenced some photos in this discussion, and I will make sure that those are posted on the episode page on wolfpop.com when this comes out. So stick around after the interview for another exciting installment of I Wasn't There Too, and I really am thinking it's time to maybe develop a second segment, but I've already had an idea, and I'm working on that, so there, uh, there is so much in store for this podcast. Also, listen up for the exciting Harrison Ford saucepan story. <laughs> Let's begin. The film, Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, the year 1999, the role, Fode, what? The actor, Greg Proops. Greg Proops, welcome to I Was There Too. You were just telling me that this is the best heckle you have ever heard. You don't even have to tell the story, just tell the line that you just got heckled. Well, it'll give you an idea of where I was by the by the nature of the heckle. It was uh, as the woman was being dragged out of the venue, she yelled, "Fuck you, I was born in a cane field." <laughs> and I don't think there's any comeback to that, really. What do you say? <laughs> well, yours was pretty good. You just yeah. kind of added on to it. Yeah. I I insisted I'd been born in a poop cane field. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> you are here because you played. Now even saying your character name has a little bit of a controversy to it. Are you aware of this, that there's there's a little bit of an argument as to whether you are Fode or Bede in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace? Can you clear this up? Well, I can't clear it up definitively, which okay. is an even more mysterious part of this whole controversy. Uh, I believe I'm Fode, uh, but some people say I'm Bede. I think Scott Capurro's character is Bede. Uh, who speaks in Huttese. Yes. And Scott had to do it in Huttese. When we auditioned, we didn't, but I can go into that later if you like. I believe I'm Fode. And when I sign tchotchkes and baseball cards and the stuff that people bring to me, I I always sign Fode. Here is what I believe the center of the controversy to be. You guys actually shot this in practical makeup, right? With uh, blue screen onesies on. And so you were originally going to, your heads were going to be on this two-headed pod race announcer character. Mm -hmm. So apparently at the time, now again, correct me if I'm wrong, you were beat and he was Fode, but when everything was released, you ended up being Fode. You're credited on IMDb as Fode. Your action figure I believe says your photo. You're aware you have two action figures? I, I, I knew there was one because – and this is terrible, man. I have pictures. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Okay, that's the new one that they released after they made the characters CG. And oh. this is the original one that they had out with your heads on it. Those are the original uh, – make. that's the original makeup uh, yeah. because they, uh, we were in makeup for hours. Here, right there. That, yeah, that's the original makeup. Yeah. And that's us in the blue onesies in front of the blue screen. Um, I have one of the uh, action figures, and this is terrible to admit, but someone mailed it to me to send them back with an autograph, and I kept it because <laughs> I figured I was never going to go into a hobby store or in my life. So <laughs> I like that you do your action figure shopping at a hobby store. Or wherever people buy action <laughs> figures. I don't know. I'm not that. I mean, people uh, think I'm – I hate the word nerd, but uh, I, 
people think I'm nerdy because I wear glasses and have a, this voice, but uh, and an intellect. But and, and I'm yeah, yeah, I have I can I'm brainy, I guess. But the uh, but I don't. I'm not a big comic book person, right. and uh, I like science fiction, but I'm not obsessed with it or anything. You have a healthy love for classic film and I, film, and I love novels, yeah, yeah. and literature, yes. Yeah. But so um, if that counts as nerdy. I guess I, so, I, guess I think you're right. just more. Well, frankly, you're an intellectual. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think if you've seen my comedy, uh, <laughs> the gross. Uh, Percentage of dick jokes versus highfalutin <laughs> references is a healthy mix. Dennis Malarian and its <laughs> annoyingness, I believe. You were not born in a cane field. No, I was not born in a cane field. Okay. I so. was born in a fruit basket. <laughs> Your name is Fode. The full name is Fodson Bead Anadu, which I, every time since I've been researching this film, it comes up in my mind as Bunsen Honeydew. Yeah. Um, if only I'd played Bunsen Honeydew. You're the two headed Troig. Is the name of your species? I oh, believe. I didn't know that. Yeah. I knew we were named Anadu, but uh, I didn't know we were Troy. Well, here's something else you might not know. Did you know that your character had its own show, like a ESPN style pod racing show? Ah, uh, is that backstory? It's some kind of expanded universe bullshit. Because they do really they know. do backstories on all the characters, but uh, I didn't ever read it. Wow. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Okay. I remember when this film came out. Now, Oops, sorry, before kick. this film came out, everybody was hopeful. And this was really, yeah. you know, a huge downfall for many people. This is the movie that dashed everyone's hopes that the second part of the trilogy was going to be in any yeah. way entertaining. That's right. But I remember seeing the cast list and, you know, thinking there's all these hoity-toities British people in there. Uh. And then I saw the name Greg Proops, you know, and I was a fan of yours from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And I thought that was someone that felt somehow more part of the, the world that I understood, you know? And so how did it come to be that you ended up in this film? Well, thank you for asking that. Uh, I was playing in Edinburgh uh, at the festival. This must have been 97. You probably know the dates better than I do. Well, the movie's 99. I don't know. Yeah, but it took a couple years to put I'm together. Sure, yeah. It was 97, and I was playing at a place called The Pleasance Over the Road, uh, which was a converted church, or as they say in Scotland, a kirk. And then uh, – and Scott Capuro had the show on after me. And we're both from San Francisco and we both happen to be very good friends and we both happen to know each other and we both happen to be American. So the casting agent came in and she saw my show and she saw Scott's show because as I said, I think I was on at eight and he was on at nine or something like that to that effect. And um, they needed two people to do American voices. So we were summoned uh, to uh, an audition in London uh, – London? Yeah. After the festival. This was August of 97 I'm reckoning. We went back to London. We went into a room. They gave us a piece of paper. The piece of paper had a couple of lines on it, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, he's, uh, he's, tr he's making the turn too fast and all that. And uh, here comes Anakin and, uh, 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 oh, here's uh, Taurus Bulba or whatever the character's Sibble. names are. Tar yeah, all Taurus names. Bulba. Taurus Bulba. <laughs> I changed it into another movie entirely, which is a very good movie with the old Brenner. Uh, well, I don't know if it's a very good movie, but it's a movie. Uh, in any case, uh, so we improvised. We, we got into the room, and me and Scott did it, and we started going, ooh, ah, uh, ooh, ah. Uh, he's got the skills to pay the bills. He's got the junk in his chunk. Uh, I don't care what universe you're from and all that yeah. jazz. Which that line made it in the film. Yeah, and yeah. then – so most of those are our lines, uh, which I said uh, – then there was great secrecy. Uh, in any case, I'm, I'm getting ahead of the story. So we went in and read for her. And then we got phone calls, and they gave it to us. That easy. Right. And wow. it was because we have American accents. They didn't want English people uh, doing the announcers. They wanted that good old, uh, you know, sports American. And I'm doing uh, Ron Fairley, who is a, a former Dodger, former Montreal Expo. He was an announcer for ages for the Seattle Mariners, but he also briefly was an announcer for the San Francisco Giants, which oh, is my yeah. team okay. in the 80s. Right. Uh, so – 
Ron Fairley talked like this. Ron Fairley goes, here comes Mark Pratt out to the mat. Had like a rangy left hand, uh, 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 right-hander. He couldn't tell the difference between right and left-handers, which I thought was fantastic, right? And uh, Ron Fairley would basically watch a play happen on the field and then announce what happened after the play happened because he was incapable of sort of keeping up with the game. And his job was play-by-play announcer. So it'd be like, well, here comes, uh, here comes Guerrero to the plate, and then, oh my God, oh eight, whoa, well, wow, whoa, whoa, Guerrero hit the ball into Ryan, and two runs scored. Like, so you'd get this post facto announcing. It's like from watching him. sports with your dad, right? Yeah. Like your drunk uncle who, and then in between, he tells stories about how he used to drink with uh, Don Drysdale and oh, all Koufax yeah. and the classic Dodger teams because he played right field for those teams. Okay, he was on the early '60s Dodgers, who were a dynasty. So I needed an announcer voice when I went in there. Uh, I, you know, they didn't just want my voice. So I did my bad version of Ron Fairley because Ron Fairley was the most perplexed announcer I'd ever heard uh-huh. in so much as the game seemed to be really going fast for him, even though it's baseball, which, as you know, sort of plods yeah. along. Yeah, it moves at its own pace. Yeah. So that, I did that voice. So that's why I go uh, – what is it? I don't care what universe you're from. That's gotta hurt. And yeah. someone, of course, contradicted me immediately and went, "You can't be from another universe. There's only one universe." You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, <sighs> you know what? Um, I know you live at home and you weigh 450 pounds and you've never been out of the bottom of your house and you have a Kevin Smith poster, uh, you know, for uh, a blanket, right? Any case, uh, so we got it and then we went in and recorded it separately. Separately. Yeah. Now, did you guys know that one of you was going to be speaking in Hatties or No. Okay. So the day we shot, we went to Leaveston Studio outside of London where they had just finished shooting Golden Eye. That'll oh. give you an idea oh. of what era. This yeah. is the okay. Pierce Brosnan era. Yeah, the first of the Brosnan era. Yeah. And in you and I you've been on James Bond yeah. for oh, yeah. other podcasts. This so is, the boy, this yeah. is really a convergence of the universe. There's only one of them. No, it uh, all comes around in a big horrible. So there were some choppers, there were some Russian choppers and whatnot from oh Gold. And I, I believe there was still that action in it. And um, we saw uh, Ewan McGregor in costume. They were doing some other uh, second unit stuff with Frank Oz uh, and Ewan. I guess it was the Yoda. um, I can't remember Ewan McGregor's character's name. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, he's Obi. Yeah. (laughs) So, right. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie. That's fair. Uh, Because then later it's the blonde guy who plays Anakin, right? And he's supposed to be Darth Vader and whatnot. Yeah. In any case, uh, we saw them uh, uh, in the studio that day, but not on the set. To go backwards a little bit, before we went in to shoot on the day, we were were summoned to the model shop uh, on the premises. So we were driven out to Leaveston, and the model shop uh, was these uh, two cats, and they had, uh, you know— all the gear for the Star Wars movies all around and whatnot. And they were just going to start shooting um, the Avengers with Uma Thurman and Ray Fiennes, right? Where Eddie Izzard hilariously wears a bear costume and fights dangling from a wire. (laughs) The Avengers might be one of the worst action films of the last 30 years. Yeah, and Connery's asleep in that thing. It's like worse than the League of Gentlemen or whatever. Like, it's that bad. Yeah. So... These two cats who ran the model shop were British uh, makeup artists, and um, they'd had Uma Thurman in about maybe two days before. And they were just still sweating? They had her down to her underwear because they had to make a body, the cat, the Emma Peelers for her. And she had a series of... Tight cat suits that she's Emma Peelers. Emma Peelers. Is that her the name yeah, of her the, garment the, the, for the Emma Avengers? Peel? Yeah, uh, <laughs> the original Emma Peel is um, 
a Dinah Rigg. Yeah, of course. And uh, she didn't wear leather. Honor Blackman, who's the previous uh, and first God, lead. Both Bond girls, too. Yeah, both oh, Bond girls. Yeah. And oh my goodness. And they're both still alive and they're both still gorgeous. They really are. They're both still yes. gorgeous. And, and just firecrackers. Oh there. my goodness. If, if they couldn't be more beautiful physically, they're made more beautiful by their just uh, – I love hearing Honor Blackman talk. I love her outlook. She's amazing. What is it? Her flying – the Pussy Galore's flying circus, is it? Yeah. Uh, in any case, uh, when, when Diana Rigg took over the role, she was Emma Peel, which is a pun – it means man appeal, right? Mm-hmm. M appeal. So they called the little cat suits they made for her, which were like lycra, M appealers. Oh my God. Because they gave her, what was it, uh, judo or jujitsu? I can't remember. Like, honor could know. karate people, but they gave Emma the, because Emma was forever kicking people and then shooting them and whatnot. Uh, anyway, uh, so they'd had, they were making Uma's M appealers. And they were still sweating. They would not shut up for the whole time we were in there. About We had Uma Thurman in two days ago, and she was, she's six feet tall, and, and we had her in her underwear, and we had to wrap her, bo- wrap, wrap her body, and we had to wrap her body. <laughs> Can you tell I have a glow about me? Yeah, they were, they were literally losing their shit, which I thought was hilarious. So they put us in, they wrapped our heads in um, uh, paper mache, whatever. And in those days, like I've had it done to me recently. I had it done, I was on a kid's show like on Nickelodeon like four or five years ago called uh, True Jackson VP. And they did a fake head of me because they did a dummy of my character and dropped it off of a building, which was a joke. And so I've had it done twice to me in my life where they make your head. Yeah. So they, in the 90s, the technology was, they took two straws and stuffed them I've up their nose, and that's how you breathed oh, for two God. hours. Yeah, recently I had it done in 2008, 2009, and they don't do that anymore. They leave air open and you can breathe. And okay. they, but they, So they literally stuck two drinking straws. What happened in that interim that made them realize they could do that? That you could choke to death? <laughs> yeah, and what if an actor is 75 years old? <laughs> what if you're doing your, you know, Ralph Richardson or somebody, <laughs> Richard Harris, you know, and he's just got oh, out of rehab. God. And you're sticking a straw up his and nose. And you kill him. And, of course, the straws can't be too long because if a straw is too long, you, you won't get any fresh air. You'll die. Like It's like having Jesus. a – you know how in the movies people always hide underwater with a reed yeah. and breathe through the, a three-and-a-half-foot-long reed? Well, right. you'll, you'd never – you'd last like two seconds. The reed has to be like 10 inches long because you'll get no fresh air. Survival tips. Exactly. In case you're ever trapped in a river, yeah. say you're going down the Amazon and there's fire ants everywhere. Oh, sure, sure. Well, this is why people really <laughs> listen to this show. <laughs> Trevor Howard's on your ass. Um, so they put these on and, and it took about two, three hours, four hours. And they wrapped our heads and then they molded them and whatnot. And me and, I think me and Scott went in together is my recollection. We might have gotten on a separate days. So they made these giant heads for us. So when we get there on the day, uh, now we're on the shoot day. We drive out to Leavesden. And by the way, my um, driver, we had drivers. That's how classy it was. Yeah. It didn't pay a lot, but, the, but it, they had a classy production. Looked just like Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones. Oh, my God. And he had like a little cashmere sweater on and, he, uh, you know, uh, light gray hair, really good-looking chap, right? It was a Jaguar uh, saloon, right? So it was a beautiful uh-huh. ride, they said. So I'm smoking <laughs> in the back, you know. And um, he goes, uh, I drove Harrison Ford on um, the Third Raiders picture, right? And he goes, um, Harrison Ford would smoke a bone on the way to the set every day. Oh, right? And back. Yeah, of course yeah. he would. Yeah. On the, but I like for first call, uh-huh. right? Like it's <laughs> yeah. 6.30 a.m. Yeah. Uh, and first call. Right. Yeah. And he'd read his lines. He'd have the script, right? And he'd be huffing a fatty, right? So uh, this guy volunteers this information. I'm, I didn't ask him. And he goes, um, let me tell you something. He was staying at the Savoy. And one day I go to pick him up at the Savoy and uh, he comes out with a saucepan with a lid on it. 
and, and gets in the back of the Jaguar. And he goes, <laughs> the driver says to him, Harry, why do you have a saucepan? Because right? he's got a kitchenette. He's got a suite at the Savoy, okay, right, yeah. with like a kitchenette. He goes, I ran out of papers. So he's heated up the dope, you see, Holy in the saucepan and cooked it. So he opens up the saucepan and goes like this. <laughs> and like just sticks his head in it. And the dope smoke's going everywhere. And he says, I get to the stoplight and they're on the strand in London, right? And he goes, and I put the windows down and the dope smoke's billowing out everywhere. But that's how he, he wanted to get high, but he ran out of paper. So he heated up dope in a saucepan. I've thought. always kind of laughed at the fact that he was a stoner. But I mean, that just... That that's resourceful. Isn't that great? I mean, that, he's determined. Oh my god! Like Bear Grylls, man. He fucking rubbing two sticks together. You know, it's very Indiana Jones. Never I mean. mind the Coke can or the, or the <laughs> apple. apple yeah. yeah, not the apple. A saucepan. And I love it because you ruin the saucepan. It's like when we used to do the hash thing with the ice bucket oh, in hotels. You oh just ruin god. the ice bucket till the end of time because it just smells like a big roach. Jesus. And then he also told me um, that he was glad he was on uh, Star Wars. And I said, why are you glad you're on Star Wars? And he goes, because all my mates are on Eyes Wide Chat. And he goes, they have been shooting oh. for two and a half years. That's right. And I'm like, you're kidding. He goes, no, I got one buddy who's like drives Nicole Kidman around and whatnot. And he goes, this fucking movie's never fucking ending. And he goes, we're George, you know, six months. Everything with George is post-production. Yeah, shooting yeah. it doesn't take right. any time. It's the two years of post. Probably should take a little more time. Well, uh, the script obviously was dashed off in a half an hour. And, uh, uh, and he, I think he wrote it, which is really, it's really unfair because George is a lovely human being and, and uh, I mean, genuinely a lovely oh, human good. being. Oh, good. I want to hear more about that later. But in any case, Sam, so we, he drives me there uh, and now we're on the day and uh, we're going to shoot. So me and Scott are all excited and we, and I'm feeling fat because we have to wear these blue onesies, right? Yeah. Like with nothing under them. No like you're in your good. underwear, right? And like you're wearing a, the tightest, horrible, like latex <laughs> The vinyl. only consolation of those things is that they will be, your whole body will be wiped away. Oh, no, you're not, they're not going to see you. But on yeah. the set, they see your male breasts and any, <laughs> anything that's pooching, right? Like if you have any pooching areas, you're totally smuggling everything at that point, right? <laughs> so they put us in these onesies. And Scott's, of course, a rail. Scott does yoga every day. And um, so we get there and uh, uh, we're ushered into makeup and it's quite early and we're in makeup for mm, three hours easily. Uh -huh. So they put those giant, the ones you showed me. Yeah. Uh, the, I think I'm green and he's red. Yes. Uh, and, and we had these fantastic, what looked like um, wooden headphones. Yeah. Here they are. You see this in the picture. Yeah. Yours are on almost, looks like they're on. The front part of your head and his right. go backwards because See, you have different So foreheads. those are on us, right? Like they glued those fuckers on me. Wow. So I'm wearing these wooden headphones, which are really cool. They look like almost, I thought, uh, steampunky. Like George isn't very steampunk. Uh, he, you know, he doesn't. No. His look is not um, uh, like the, the, the prestige or whatever. Yeah, he, this is like mid-century Danish modern Yeah, yeah, headphones. I was going to say. There's a little yeah. Copenhagen going on with the, the burnished wood. Oh, they really are wood grain looking. I yeah, no, they're, 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 yeah. They were, that's what I recall is that they were like wood. Yeah, they weren't bake like white. They weren't, you know. You'd buy these on Etsy now. Right, yeah. right. You could have those in your crib if you lived in, uh, uh, you know, Helsinki. <laughs> and uh, so they put all this stuff on us and it took forever and uh, they, they'd they made the heads the other day, right? Or maybe a week before. So they 
they kind of sandwiched the heads onto us and glued them down. Uh-huh. And then they had to have the heads glued down around here like the scarecrow and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you're tied into the fucker, right? So you mustn't sneeze. No. And you can eat and drink, but I can't see. My glasses are taken off. And I can't. You don't have contacts. No. And I'm blind as a fucking bat, right? And I can't hear shit because I'm wearing these giant wooden headphones on top of a goddamn prosthetic. We're literally sutured into these prosthetic heads. So we get onto the set and we're wearing our onesies. And the second AD takes us over to George. And uh, he goes, hi, I'm George. Hi, Greg. Hi, Scott. And I go, hi, George. And I'm trying to be cool, you know. And he goes, um, you're dressed in these things. Yeah, I'm wearing the onesie yeah. with this a giant. This is the first head time on. you've met him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And, and and there's maybe 150 people, um, and and uh, what appears to be like a, a jerry-rigged stage, that's simply a place for us to stand uh-huh. with a giant blue screen behind it and a completely empty, enormous soundstage in Leavesden. Right? And they didn't tell you any of this going into. It. Not only that, we haven't seen a script since the day we read, right? Uh-huh. And we made some shit up and. We haven't seen the pod race. We don't even know what the pod race is. We just know that we're announcing it and that obviously there's thrills and chills. Anyways, uh, uh, George goes, have you uh, – this then George, it's not like this. Um, have, you guys, uh, have you guys seen the footage of the pod race? And up until then, literally we've been sworn to secrecy. I mean literally like we signed affidavits and shit. Can you not even say you're in this movie? Or? Well, no, not really. Uh-huh. And we weren't allowed to talk about any details of anything that happened in it. We weren't allowed – I got in – you know, people tried to interview me in between the time it got made sure. and the time it came out. And I was living in L.A. even at that point. And I think I said something to someone. And I'll, I got in trouble. But um, no one has seen anything. Everything secret as could be. And I go, no, George, we haven't. And he goes, well, let me show it to you. So there's a monitor, and it's approximately three inches by six inches, right? It's the <laughs> smallest monitor in the history. You know how they used to, on sets, have the little things that have all the different cameras? Yeah, you yeah. Know, like, and this is the 90s, right? Right. So I can't see. Oh. I can see about five inches without my glasses. I'm uh, probably like 2,400 with astigmatism, right? So... I I'm wearing the head and I put my face up to the screen like this. <laughs> my nose is on the screen, right? And he shows us the race. And it's a patch together, you know, part of it's shot, part yeah, of it's right. drawings, part of it's anima- anima- animatics. Uh, animatics, yeah, because yeah. they haven't done any of the CG. Well, it's not at this done point. yet, yeah, no. Yeah. And so it's, it's post-production. It's yeah. like this little ten minute sequence of like shit crashing and like little ships going here and there and right. then stuff stopping and then cutaways to uh, 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 Jar Jar and uh, uh, and Anadu is it? <laughs> That's your last name friend. Oh Anakin Anakin and Shmi. Anakin has to drive oh, the Amidala is that who yeah, yeah. yeah and Princess Amidala yeah and um, she has the best line in the movie the opening line of um, Phantom Menace the Princess Amidala is on the landing pad and the shuttle crashes. Yeah. And Natalie Portman goes, we shouldn't have come. <laughs> Wouldn't she speak like, you know, Grace Kelly or, you yeah, know. right. Catherine Hepburn, you know. Anyways, uh, uh, so he shows us the race. Then we get up and we just do it. And we do a take. Uh, and and uh, 
then we read all our lines, you know, uh, and then we put in, uh, I don't care what universe you're from, and ooh-ah, and all these jokes and whatnot. Uh, that, uh, one of mine was, I think, that little human being's out of his mind. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so at what point does someone come up to you and say, you get to be English, and Scott, you're going to have to speak in Huttese? How does that work? No, we recorded it in English only on the day. Oh. And so we would do a take, and we'd do a bunch of lines, and then George would go cut. And then he'd walk over to us, and this was my favorite part of being directed by George Lucas, which I can say I was. Yeah. He would go, um, that was, uh, that was good. Do you, do you, do you guys want to do it again? And I went, uh, yeah, okay, George, sure, we'll do it again. Okay. Then do he'd go you back want and us to do sit it again? down and he'd go, action. And then. So these rumors are true. Like he, he. Look to the right. Uh-huh. Look to the left. Look up behind you. Look down. Because that was what was important as announcers. More important than the lines uh-huh. were simply the head movements. Yeah. So that we looked everywhere like we were following a race. Wow. So we did that for a couple hours. And then that was that. We did all our lines. But, uh, of course, those were re-recorded a thousand times. Uh, they looped them. Uh, but it was where our head movements. And then um, – So, so n- n- none of this original shoot really exists. audio or video made it into the film? Nope. And uh, and no Huttese at this point. Okay. So uh, the movie carries on. Uh, they're in post-production for ages. Um, um, I'm in London off and on. Uh, I'm brought in to record in London. I recorded all my lines over several times. Then really close to showtime, which was 99, you say? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm in London, and I'm summoned to Soho to the studio where we did a lot of the recording. And uh, this is probably my second or third looping session and uh are you re- scrapping everything each looping session or just, they're just having me do it again and adding little lines here and noises here and repronunciations of names uh, yeah like odie mandrell odie mandrell the mandrell sisters odie mandrell barbara <laughs> louise Aud- louise and odie uh, <laughs> i had it bad for louise i really did louise mandrell had it going on she did she was yeah they were almost as hot as the landers the landers were kind of <laughs> more slatternly if i if it's okay to say that I, well i mean i think that's the characters they played yeah they were slatternly yeah, yeah. and like she which she and louise was a chorus line yeah she was a lady yeah louise mandrell was a lady she was, it was, lady. It was every inch country country lady oh. and um so I go in on this day, and this is in 99, I reckon, and I go to the – I says to the engineer, there's no Americans there. There's an English engineer and there's an English uh, liaise, and he's got a phone in a cradle uh, on speaker. Like a – not like a War Games modem. Right. Cra- what? <laughs> you know, like like uh, all of a sudden John Lithgow's on your ass and I got <laughs> Ali Sheedy in my car and we're trying to hide. Oh, my God. This um, is sinister. And uh, uh, they're talking to Marin. <laughs> Because it's probably four in the afternoon uh, in London, so it's seven in the morning in Marin. At Skywalker Ranch? At Skywalker Ranch. Okay. And not George isn't on the other end of the line. It's some fun, you know person who works for them, a producer type. And I says to the engineer, um, when do we open? And he goes, two weeks. So we go through the whole sequence again, right? Bit by bit by bit, every single line. So now I've now it's fully blown. Now it's uh, Jar Jar, now it's Princess Amandala, now every cutaway, all the crashes, every single moment of it is is there. The CGI is done, the post is done. This is the final looping session. And every pass I did was perfect. You know, like earlier sessions, they'd have you do the line 10, 12, 15 yeah. times. This session, they go, okay, read it again. I go, that little human being is out of his mind. Perfect, moving on. 
Oh, right. They because the they time, had yeah. no time to finish this thing, right? Oh, and I yeah. thought, this is the biggest production I'll ever be on. And it's the biggest production probably in the world at that point. Oh, We're talking course. a couple hundred yeah. million dollars. Yes. And several years. And how many thousand technicians? Thousands of technicians. Uh, audio people, film people, CGI people, model makers, makeup artists, you know, you know the whole yeah. enchilada. And they were literally like, fine. <laughs> and that made me That's laugh amazing. that it was like, no matter what you oh. did, you could have fucked the line entirely. Oh, Moby Vandell. Perfect, Greg. Perfect. <laughs> Got it. Moby Vandell. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back with Greg Proops. We're talking about his uh, role as Fode, and uh, this is Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Now, here are a list of some of the names you had to say, all right? Ben Quadraneros. Yeah, Quadraneros. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Odie Mandrell. We've already talked about Odie Mandrell, the Mandrell brother. Mahonic. Uh, Sabulba, of course. Sabulba. Timto Pagilis. Does that ring a bell? Vaguely. Uh, Tino, we didn't say much. Sabonic and uh, uh, Sabulbo, we said all the time. Yeah. Rats Tyrell. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Rats Tyrell. Yeah. Fud Sang, did that come up? Elon Mach? I don't know. Some of these, I think, may be from the video games. Well, I did all the video games, too. Oh, you did? I did all the ones subsequent to it, which we did in the late 90s, early 2000s. There was a couple. So, yeah, it keeps coming back, and it keeps uh, giving and giving. But uh, So, on the day... Uh, we finish, and there's been no Hutties spoken. Uh, George thanks us. He couldn't be kinder. And so me and Scott go back to the makeup room, and it takes about an hour or two to take our makeup off because we have these giant heads on, and they have to be unglued. This is the original shoot day. This is okay. back of the shoot yeah. day. This is the day of shooting in 97, early 98 maybe. And so it takes a while uh, to take our heads off. And we haven't really eaten in a long time because uh, we've got these heads on. You could have a drink or whatnot. I think I even smoked in it. I can't remember. And um, then uh, Scott goes, we're in the room together. And he goes, God damn it, I want some swag. And I'm like, me too. How do we get it? So he goes over to the second AD and he says, uh, hey, is there any swag? You know, baseball hat, a t-shirt, whatnot. And uh, the guy goes, uh, oh, let me have a look, right? And he fucks off and he comes back <laughs> and he brings us two polar fleeces. And this is where your, your super geeky fans will lose their shit. The movie hadn't been named yet. So these polar fleeces, and I possess one in uh, my home, don't come to my house and kill me for it, uh, says episode one. Oh my God. It doesn't say Phantom Menace, Menace anywhere on it. Oh. It's like the people who have Revenge of the Jedi I have shirts. that poster from when I was a kid, my parents, because I was in the Star Wars fan club, and my parents mm-hmm. saw that that was – they were selling those. They knew the title was Return of the Jedi, and they somehow had the foresight to buy two of them for they me. They bought Revenge? Yeah, I have the Revenge of the Jedi one sheet framed you in really? my apartment. Because yeah. that's a total collector's yeah, item. Yeah, yeah. They changed I, the name. Nothing has it on it. Yeah. There's no T-shirts with it. There's no – nothing. I don't know how you got that. That's well, they sold them through the fan club. So there, there are one sheets out there, the big posters, and so those wow. exist. Yeah. Well, so yeah. this is – I don't think there's anything that says episode no, one No, that's on amazing. It. Yeah. So I, I have it. It's in my closet. Uh, I've never worn it. <laughs> I, we wore it on the night. We put them on. Yeah. And we were in the same car together. And I was living in uh, London at the time. And um, Scott's got a crib there now. 
And we went back to our crib, and my wife was there, and she was like, well, how'd it go? And so we told her all about it, and we ordered Chinese food, I remember, and high-fived, and yeah. we were laughing our asses off yeah. that we did a day on Star Wars. Well, that's what I want to ask you, too, is when you were cast, what did it mean to you to be on a Star Wars film? Because even if you yourself weren't hugely appreciative of the things, you must have known, like, this is the biggest film to be cast on. Very much that, so. That 10 years, really. Um, when I was in high school, the first picture came out in 1976. This is going to date me horribly, but I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, and my friend Leon de Rossi and I uh, got high and drove down to the Century uh, Domes in San Jose <laughs> because they were like the Cinerama Dome here in Hollywood. G- those giant theaters yeah. with the 35 uh, or 75 millimeter yeah. uh, and, and Cinerama, so huge screens. And we saw the first Star Wars movie. And I mean like maybe the second or third day it came out, we drove down. Okay giant theater but we didn't want to go to a little theater we wanted to go to the big one and then he always premiered all his movies uh, George at the um, uh, it's gone now but it was on Geary Boulevard and it was called The Coronet and The Coronet probably held 1500 people it was a huge movie theater saw Blade Runner there when it opened saw uh, um, Return of the Jedi when it opened there um, you know, you'd smoke a joint outside and then you'd go in and I remember going to Blade Runner and everybody cheering at the credits the credits of Blade Runner (laughs) That's the credits. The end credits. What year's the that opening movie? credits? 80, no, opening. Opening. 82, is it maybe? Wow, yeah, because that one was a bit bit of a flop until later. Yeah. You know, it, so it, th- it, that must have been an appreciative nerd It crap. rallied harder. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but I mean, I remember seeing uh, um, uh, the Star Trek, uh, the second one. Um, Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan and the fourth one, The Return or whatever that uh, one is. Voyage Home. Voyage Home, yes. Yeah. And uh, at all these theaters in San Francisco, uh, there was three coronets. I might be getting the name of it. No, it was the cornet. It was on Gary. It was a giant. But anyways, uh, we so yes, I was quite aware of it. And like I said, the money was uh, the money was okay. It wasn't anything to write home about. And uh, we never shot in America. And uh, I'll leave it to you to sort out why. Uh, we only shot in um, London, and then he shot the picture, of course, in um, Australia. Yeah, Australia, and I think Tunisia. Yeah. And then um, I did a re-record for the DVD years later. And that was in Mexico. So I was flown from Los Angeles to San Diego. And then I was taken in a car from San Diego to Fox Baja, where they had just shot Titanic. So that was, what, 99, 2000? tax reasons or what? Um, that residuals, union, stuff like that. Oh, right. They're not union movies, really. Oh, that's right. Because he, yeah, he's got a rift with the Director's Guild. He didn't, credit yeah, we weren't, these weren't SAG organized things. Interesting, wow. So um, uh, I was driven to Fox Baja. And, um, which I don't know if it's even still there. It wasn't really a studio. I think Cameron kind of got the facility going because the Titanic was such a huge undertaking yeah. and they were there for so long. And, uh, we were ushered into a, I'm always being ushered, you notice. Yeah, it's these impressive. Things are, uh, hustled <laughs> into a, a, a conference room, uh, less of a recording studio than this. We're sitting in an actual, if I can describe to you the motif we're in here, ladies Please. and gentlemen, there's a large, um, blonde wooden table with the scrawlings of thousands of egomaniacal comedians on it. And then around the room are are those um, orange sort of Ellsworth Kelly rectangles that are supposed to be (laughs) baffles to keep the sound down. And in the corners are those horrible styrofoam things that will live till the end of time. Yeah. The Fox Baja conference room that we recorded the CD for Star Wars was a conference room, like with metal chairs and a table. And they'd set up a music stand and a microphone. And I stood there. And they used Apple's computers, and we recorded into an Apple computer. Oh and that's how – and they, they had me do 
Uh, oh, well, you do this one for Jim over in accounting. Well, you do this one for Tim over in like personalized like little messages. Well, Tim, I want to tell you, you got to you're going like a house on fire, you know. And I, so I had to do like little ones for everybody. Yeah, of course. And they got us Mexican food for lunch because we were in sure. um, somewhere between Tijuana and Ensenada or wherever the fuck Fox Baja is. Right. Then at the end of that day, I spent a day doing that. I was put back into a, ushered back into a car <laughs> and then spirited in the car. <laughs> Across the border uh-huh. and then taken to the San Diego airport and then flown from the San Diego airport to the Los Angeles airport, which, as you know, is about a 30-minute flight. It must be, yeah. It's pretty short. Yeah. I got on the plane in L.A., I remember, and it was a six- or seven-seater. And I had I had a bag, like this bag here, like your bag. And they it's went, oh, no. Gucci. Uh, yeah, Matt has a superb, uh, what appears to be a vintage alligator Gucci bag. Yeah, 69. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, Dark Passenger, but it, it's <laughs> it's a lot like the bag Lauren McCall carries in there. In any case, I'll so, post a picture. Yeah. Uh, they. I was getting, I'm on the tarmac, which you very rarely are in LA, at right, LAX, yeah. and I walk onto the tarmac because the plane is so bloody little, it has a ladder like the Beatles. Oh my God. And, um, I've got my little bag, and the flight attendant goes, you can't take this. And I'm like, but it's only this big. And she's like, mm. Because it hasn't cleared security or what? It was too big. There was no overhead, no underhead, oh. no anything. So I got on the plane. I had a book, and I sat like this with my book. <laughs> and it, it, me and four other people on this plane, right? And the pilot turned around and went like this. Is everybody ready? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a hobbyist pilot. Yeah, and we, By trade, I'm a, just a actuary. Yeah. Uh, I don't really do this all the time. N- never mind that my uniform is ad hoc. <laughs> I would do it all the time. I'm just not allowed. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that we took a, t- a 30-minute flight, and then we're driven from San Diego. So that was, uh, that was in the early 2000s, is my recollection. Wow. But we were really aware of it. So uh, the money wasn't so hot, and my agent in London calls me into her office, and I'm uh, um, let in. Not this. I wasn't ushered. Oh. I was led. You've done it all. And uh, I sits down, and uh, Vivian was her name. She had a desk, and um, you sat uh, where you're sitting. I'm sitting where I'm sitting. I'm her. Oh, her, boy. where her chair was, had been raised. She clearly had like a, basically a half apple, so that she was slightly above you whenever oh. you came in. Oh, no. So that were your client, you were the client. You were lower than her at all times. So she sort of. There was a sci-fi kind of, you know, yeah. John Houseman and Rollerball. <laughs> like I'm, she's a dais or a throne, basically. Right. She's, Wait, she's, this she's is your agent. Dais, my agent in London. Oh boy. And she goes, uh, I advise you not to take this picture. The, uh, this is before or after? Before that we got, or after I got cast. She goes, I've just got the offer and it's f- bloody awful. Uh, I'm completely fucked off, and I don't want you to do it. And I said, Viv, um, this goes at the top of my CV, right? Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. I go, I don't, I'm don't. i never going to be in anything bigger than this. So I did it anyway. Yeah, and, I don't blame you. And then I got all the video games, and they've been really nice to me over the years. And So one last thing. I did the picture, or what? Or not the last. You can ask whatever you like. I, we, did, we had done the picture, and I was back in L.A., and someone did an interview with me for some obscure sci-fi site. But you know how it is. People love the movie, so. Yeah. And I said that we'd made up um, some of the lines. 
And I got a fucking call from Lucas, from one of the PR people. And she's like, no, you did not fucking make up any of those lines. Because all, go, all credit goes to him? Yeah. Or? And I was like, uh, okay, sorry. I don't know where you heard that. And she's like, I read it off this fucking website. And I'm like, uh, sorry, I don't know how that happened. And like, don't you ever, but it's ever, also true. ever, ever fucking say that you guys made up the, and I was like, okay, okay, okay. Oh, man. You are in. Once you're in, you're in for life. So I was offered a chance to go to the ranch. And so we did. Oh, yeah. And uh, um, it's quite – it's up in the hills in, in Marin County, beautiful setting. And George has done so much uh, charity work up there. He built low-income housing up there, and he gave all of the money he got from Disney for the sale of Star Wars uh, to education in the Bay Area. That's He's amazing. He's an extraordinarily generous and magnificent human. I do think he gets quite a bad rap. He seems like a really – Benevolent man. He said something when he made that billion-dollar sale to Disney that I've never heard anyone in this town say, and you shall never hear them as long as you live, Matt. Um, you can go to a million meetings here and talk to a million guys named Jake, and you will never hear anyone say this in a meeting or at any point in Hollywood. George Lucas said, I have enough money. I remember reading that in an interview. Yeah, that's amazing. And I'm giving the rest to charity. Yeah. He got a billion dollars from Disney, a billion dollars. And so and it's one it thing that money. he has enough money, so he doesn't need to sell it. And so he still sells it and gives I that money. I think he wanted to be the steward of it anymore. Yeah, well, I think he I'm thought sure. Disney could handle it. I think he probably – that had to have been hard for him to get hit so hard for these prequels too. I mean he – no one's been hit as hard as he has for no. making something. Well, to be fair, they're not very entertaining. No. I mean yeah, and, and I didn't I, see the third one, Revenge of the Fist or whatever it's called. That's it. <laughs> well, that probably is the most solid of all of them. But so what was your reaction? Two things. What was your reaction when you found out that you were turned into a CG character completely? Oh, right. Was that disappointing? I, I forgot was, about was that. Was it disappointing the general reaction of the film tour? I mean, you you didn't have a huge stake in it. You enjoyed the process. So. Oh, no. I loved doing it and it was so much fun. And, and uh, Kapuro kept calling us star whores all the time. <laughs> and we'd go, star whores. We're nothing but star whores. And we'd sing it all the time. Uh, my wife and I went to see it at the Alhambra or maybe the Regency 2. I don't think either of these theaters is there anymore in San Francisco. It was an afternoon showing and we went in to see it and it got to my scene and I went, I turned to her and I went, they CGI'd us right oh, out of the you movie. didn't even know. No, oh, never God. knew. And then Scott. So they brought him back in to do this. Yep. And he, I'd never known because we have separate lives. We don't live together. Uh, <laughs> that uh, he did it in Hatties. Until the moment I saw the movie, I never knew that we were CGI'd out or that Scott had been brought back in to do Hatties. Have you spoken to him about that? Was oh, of he course. disappointed? Of course. Scott goes and does um, uh, uh, conventions and whatnot and oh, signs okay. pictures and everything. I haven't done one, but I probably will before this long-ass career is over. I'm sure I'll, you'll find me at a table. And I and we didn't stay to the end. I remember that. We got to the Darth Maul fight, and at that point, I was my wife was like, could we go? Yeah. And I was like, all right, let's go. Well, to me, the movie stops when at the very beginning of the movie, they're in the, some underwater thing and a giant fish comes and they go, oh, my God, it's a big fish. And there's no excitement. No, like in the old, the first three, they would have gone, oh, my God, step on it. Yeah. Uh, let's get out of here. We got to get out of here. We're going to die. Um, Liam Neeson turns and goes, there's always a bigger fish. Yeah. And that's when I went, oh, they've lost the thread. Yeah. The thread's lost. Oh. But the but the thing that keeps the first three going is they're like cereals. There's lots of wipes. Everything's like flash cord. Yeah. And there's plenty of bad guys and and and, and shit moves along at a better um 
let me put it this way. At least in the second, even with the bloody Ewoks, an Ewok dies and you cry a little bit yeah. when you see it hit the ground or what whatever. Is it? Yeah, the, the original trilogy, the characters are just simply more engaging. You care about them and you don't care about any of the characters. Well, how about when he almost has sex with his sister and then he realizes yeah, it's his something. sister? Like there's lots of good, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, like kiss me for luck and right. all that. And, and these prequels require you to care more because it's yes! about the downfall of a child and, and that inherently should be dramatic and it somehow yeah. is less. It's so, well. What does he say in the second one? She goes, I love you. And he goes, I know. And yeah. that's good movie yeah. writing. Yeah. That's good movie writing. Yeah, yeah. And the end of the second movie. And that's Kirshner and Harrison Ford yeah, that's on Kirshner. the set. At the end of the second movie, Luke has no hand. Uh, um, uh, uh, Han has been put into a block of carbonite. Vegemite or whatever. That's not carbonite. <laughs> so you notice I'm not a big detail person on this. I mean, the ending of the second one is fantastic because there's no indication they're going to win. And then in the third one, there's dolls and whatnot. I think, and this is just me being a complete wand at this point, since I've had nothing, <laughs> wand. nothing but fortune. <laughs> That's my favorite term yeah. I've heard in a long time, a uh, complete wand. Is that uh, <laughs> he should have brought in two uh, uh, 30-year-old guys. Like, I don't, I, I don't know how old you were when Phantom Menace came out, but uh, you probably could have written it with another Star Wars fan. You were a member of the Star Wars fan club. You knew everything about all this. If they had just given you the character backgrounds and gone, this is Anakin, this is da 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 and they need to get from here to here yeah. in three movies. That it, it, To me, that seems like the simple solution. Don't write it yourself. Get other people to come in. The whole thing about there's some sort of trade embargo and we're having a discussion in the Senate. Like, oh, I'm going to kill myself. And, you know, he, he, he's a genius in so much as he stole all the right elements from all the right movies, uh, uh, The I Hidden was, Fortress. Yeah, and, and I couldn't believe watching Yodorowsky's Dune, that documentary yeah. about Dune. I couldn't believe how much had obviously come from that. I had no idea. But uh, Genius anyway. is steel. Yeah. Uh, so, it, yeah, I was surprised when I was CGI'd and I was surprised when Scott was in hot cheese. Well, Greg, you, I think, are my first guest on this show <laughs> to have made – had a um, – action figure made of one of your roles <laughs> two action figures really four if you count all the heads yeah so uh, I can't thank you enough this has been great thanks Matt alright may the force be with you It's time for Damn, I wasn't there too. Okay, this segment is called I Wasn't There Too, where I focus on people who were once or might have been cast in the film in question. Now, aside from supposedly Kyle MacLachlan being considered for Qui-Gon Jinn, the big rumor on this film, and I say rumor because... It's written everywhere online, but not by any kind of website or person that gives me any kind of confidence. And I'm nothing if not a, just a real journalist. Here it is. Benicio Del Toro was originally set to play Darth Maul, but apparently left the film after George Lucas took most of the lines. It doesn't say whether he was going to do the voice like Peter Serafinowicz did, or play the part like Ray Park did, but... 
I would love to think it was both. How was that even possible? This cannot be true. The man can barely speak. Uh, nothing against you, BDT, because I know you're listening. Alas, we reveal ourselves as Jedi. Give me keys, cocksucker. I've lived you. I love you. I'm Darth Maul. Honeymoon. Okay, that's... <laughs> okay. Well, there, there's my uh, fugue for Benicio Del Toro impressions. And if anyone can write in on the discussion board what three movies I just did, then I'll give you a shout-out next time. I don't know if that's how this works. I'm still putting this together. This is not the new segment idea, by the way. I don't do an impression of someone in three different movies and you have to name the. You know, maybe that is the new segment. Let's find out <laughs> next week. Okay. We're having a good time all me by myself with a cat. And that's it for Thanks once again for listening to I Was There Too. My name's Matt Gorley. And hey, December 5th at 10 p.m. at Largo, Matt Myra and I will be joining How Did This Get Made Live to discuss A View to a Kill. Matt Myra, who does the James Bonding podcast with me. We're going to do a huge podcast crossover. And if you're enjoying this show, please write a review on iTunes. It helps keep it up in the charts. All right. That's all for today. I love you. Pop. Pop? Pop. Pop. Wolf Pop is part of Midroll Media, executive produced by Adam Sachs, Matt Gorley, and Paul Shear. 